Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Before I get into the message, I'd like to remind you, if you're listening by radio, we're excited to have Pastor Kevin Bernard with us today at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. Brother Kevin is from the Bell Rive area, has a lot of family still that lives uh, around Mount Vernon, Jefferson County, maybe even Hamilton County. But uh, we're sure excited to have Brother Kevin. He's going to preach today at 10 o'clock in our morning service at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. Mount Vernon Baptist Temple is located at 817 Woodland Drive here in Mount Vernon. Brother Kevin has pastored New Horizon Baptist Church in Ward, Arkansas for many years. He's here visiting, and we were excited to have him yesterday speak at our men's prayer breakfast, and today he will preach in our 10 o'clock morning service. So we encourage you to come, be a part of that service if you do not have a home church. Today we're going to conclude our series titled United We Stand from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and we'll jump into the teaching. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now we've covered verses 1 and 2. Today we will cover verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Several years ago, uh, I was in the National Guard and I was in the mortar platoon. In that platoon, we were responsible for the company Humvees. Before we were allowed to go anywhere out to the field or anywhere with the vehicles, though, we were required to perform what was called PMCS. That stood for Preventive Maintenance Checks and Services. Now, the purpose of PMCS was to inspect and service the vehicles so that they were in good working order to prevent breakdowns before they happen. You wouldn't want to get out away from the camp somewhere out in the field and have a breakdown because you did not check the tires and the fluids and all of that. And so, although it took some time, it was a preventive measure. Now, this series on unity that we've been bringing the last few Sundays is uh, preventive maintenance, I believe, for the church. The principles we've covered also can be applied to marriage and family, friendships, work relationships, a lot of different things. You've heard the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now, the purpose of this portion of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is to provide preventive maintenance in the area of unity. Verse 2, he says, I want you to be like-minded, have the same love, be in one accord, and be of one mind. Now, he's going to show how to do that in verses 3 and 4. So let's begin. First of all, he says, if you're going to be unified, you need to depart from selfish ambition. How do you do that? By avoiding contention. He says, let nothing be done through strife. Now, what is strife? Well, the motive of strife is to put others down. Strife is putting down of other people. Now, let's put this into real life uh, situations. When a wife says to her husband, you're lazy, you don't make very much money, you're no help around the house, you're a slob, she is creating strife in that relationship by putting her husband down. 
That uh, same thing is applied a husband to a wife. Whenever he says to his wife, why can't you cook like mom does? Or why can't you clean the house better? And, and uh, I don't like the way that you do such and such. You are creating strife by putting the other person down. You know, parents can do that with children. A parent that says, can't you do anything right? Why can't you get good grades like so-and-so? Or why can't you behave like your brother or your sister? You're creating strife in that relationship by putting the child down. Employees can do that with their boss. Well, I don't like the way that he leads, or I don't like her as a manager, and I would do so much better if I was in charge. That's creating strife in the workplace. This can happen in a church. The people can put the pastor down by complaining about he preaches too long or too loud or too short or whatever the case is. Pastors can even do that with their people. You know, well, if I just had people who were more spiritual or who were willing to to do more and to work, and so so strife is created by putting other people's down, uh, other people down. Now, let me let you in on a secret. If you look to find fault and put people down, you're guaranteed to find it. If you are a fault finder, some people are professional fault finders, you're guaranteed to find fault. You won't have any trouble finding fault. Why? Because we are all uh, faultful. I don't know if that's a word or not, but we all have fault. We're all fallible human beings. And so a fault finder creates strife everywhere that he goes, at work, at home, even in a church. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say on this matter of strife. Listen, please, to Proverbs 26 and verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out, so where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. If you don't have a troublemaker in the midst, the trouble will, will, will stop. The strife will cease. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Someone that looks to question everything and to start trouble and all of that is a, is a strife kindler. They're just like someone stirring up coals in a fire. Now, the Bible also says something about this in the book of James. James was the kind of preacher who didn't uh, didn't cut corners. He just said it like it was. Listen to what James says in chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, and that's where it usually begins, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, this, this wisdom of thinking that you're being uh, somehow clever by causing strife and putting people down. This wisdom descendeth not from above, not from heaven, but it is earthly, sensual, and devilish. It comes from the pit of hell. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. You find a family that's in a state of confusion, a workplace in a state of confusion, a church in a state of confusion, you will find a, a house, a business, a church filled with envy and strife. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So here's what's something we need to think about. Are you a strife maker or a peacemaker? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We ought to look to create peace in our home, in our jobs, even within our church. Now, what is the remedy for strife, putting other people down? What if someone creates strife in a relationship? What should you do? Well, number one, just refuse to receive it. 
I have found a couple of ways that this works. Number one, if someone comes to you putting others down or saying, well, I don't like this or that, one thing you can do is change it and answer positively. Let's say someone comes and says, well, I just don't like the music in church. Answer positively and say, well, I kind of like it. You know, I, I like the way that they're doing that. I, you know, uh, and maybe it's a boss. I don't like the way the boss does something. You could say, well, you know what? I had a boss that was a lot worse than this one. I kind of like it. You see, negative people looking to cause strife, they don't like positive answers. And they'll go away. They'll find someone else. I have also discovered that people know who to complain to. They know whose ear to bend and who will listen to their gripes and their strife. So one thing you can do is answer positively. Another thing you can do is change the subject. Someone comes and they want to complain about the boss, change the subject to the weather or change the subject about, well, how was your weekend? And just don't even give it any sort of fuel and it will die out. You know, you can refuse to receive it and then you can also refuse to repeat it. You know, uh, people will go on social media and they'll create strife by putting down a business or a restaurant. And you'll have a hundred more comments about how awful the restaurant was or the service or whatever. Uh, don't do that. Just don't post about it. Don't repeat it. Don't, don't hit send. Don't text it. Don't, don't email it. If you will not stir it up, you don't receive it. Don't repeat it. That strife will go away and that complainer will find someone else to go to. Well, one way to depart from selfish ambition is by avoiding contention. Number two, by avoiding conceit. Again, back to our text there, the Bible says, let nothing be done through strife, that's contention, or vainglory, that's conceit, that is self-glory. So strife, while it puts others down, vainglory puts self up. You know, some people feel better that way. If I can put you down and pick me up, I'll feel a lot better. That's conceit. Conceit is often revealed in three ways. Number one, conceit always has to be right. Well, I don't care, you know, uh, no matter what, I'm going to be right. Now, you may have a marriage falling apart, and here you are worried about being right, or no relationship with your children, but you're right. You know, it's not worth it to be right all the time. Sometimes you need to take the high road and say, you know what, you're right and I'm wrong. Maybe you think you're right in your head. Just leave it there, all right? But someone that is conceited always has to be right. Number two, they always have to have the last word, all right? So no matter what you say, I'm going to I'm gonna get the last word in if I have to text it or post it or, or say it. I just can't help it. You know, that's a foolish statement. I just can't help it. I just say what's on my mind. The Bible says that a foolish person speaks everything that's on his mind. And so conceit reveals itself by always having to be right, always having to have the last word. And then something else conceit often does. Conceit looks for other people to join its side. Uh, those who are malcontents and they're, they, they're filled with contention and with conceit, they want to get other people on their side. And many times what they will do then is they will complain and they will make general statements like this. Everyone thinks that that it's it, it's wrong or nobody likes the music everybody's in agreement on that and i have found that usually everybody means about 3 people percentage wise, you know, just about three people, but they will make you think that they have a big group of people that are upset about this and they don't like it. They'll use general terms like that. Why? Because misery loves company. They're not happy in their misery themselves. They want to get other people to join sides. Now we see this play out under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 16, and you always have a ringleader when there's someone that's causing contention and that is conceited. The ringleader in this story is a man by the name of Korah. 
The Bible says, now Korah, the son of Ishhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abraham. So we have three characters, Korah, the ringleader. He gets a couple more, Dathan and Abraham. And then the Bible says, they took man, men, and they rose up before Moses, the leader, with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. So let me, let me explain what's going on. Korah, the ringleader, is upset. He gets two more recruits named Dathan and Abraham. The three of them, they begin recruiting other people on their side, and they want to get people that are, that are uh, you know, they have a position, they have a name in the community, and they now have gathered 250 men. Now, that sounds like a lot until you consider how many there are Moses is leading. Most Bible scholars say conservatively, here at this time in the wilderness, Moses was leading between two and a half million and three million people. Let's say two and a half million because the math works out real easy like that. If you take 250 men out of two and a half million, that equates to 0.01%. So not even 1% are complaining, but 0.01% are complaining, not very many percentage-wise. Well, they gather themselves together and they say to Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon you. And basically they say, who do you think you are? Uh, You think God has only spoken to you and we can't lead and, and all of this. And so long story short, when you go to the end of the chapter, you will find that the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and Abraham and Dathan and the 250 men were all killed. They were consumed by fire. Why? Because God does not like a complaining spirit. And here's the thing. Remember this. God especially does not like it if he is the one who has appointed someone in the area of leadership. Make sure that if you're going to complain that you have a very valid reason for that. That applies. Listen, uh, children, God has given you the parents that you have. God doesn't like it when you complain against your parents. In fact, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. I believe that goes for the job place. That even goes for our government. We may not like the leaders that God has allowed to be there, but if God has allowed them to be in position, we are not to uh, go overboard with complaining and saying, I don't like this. And we're to pray for them, and especially in the area of your pastor. Support your pastor. If there's something that you don't like, you'd be better off keeping that to yourself. You know, David, when he was chased by Saul, had the opportunity to kill Saul. And David made this comment. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Why? Because God does not like that. It is God who places people in leadership. And so we're called to pray for them, not to be so conceited that we try to uh, complain and then try to make ourselves better by uh, these complaints. And uh, God just doesn't like that. And I'm afraid that happens way too many times in our churches. It happens in workplaces, happens in homes. And uh, beloved, I'm just telling you, God doesn't like it. All right, let's move on to the second point. Number two, demonstrate selfless admiration. Now he says to uh, not uh, cause strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Now, uh, first of all, that's talking about applying humility to our relationships. The Greeks in that culture, when Paul is writing this letter, they were no f- known for their philosophy and their high-minded thinking. 
You see, the Greek philosophers like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, they had really influenced that culture that in order to really show your worth, you had to be high-minded. If you said a Greek was low-minded, you were insulting him or her. The Jews were the same way regarding the law. The Pharisees were high-minded about the law and the Torah and everything. And Jesus comes along and he flips that high-minded thinking on its head and begins teaching the, the principle of demonstrating meekness and humility. Speaking of himself, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. Paul writes in Romans 12 and verse 3, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, that prevents some people from even repenting of their sin and coming to Christ for salvation. They think too highly of themselves. Well, who who do you think you are to tell me I need to repent of my sin? Listen, beloved, until you recognize you're a sinner and you repent of your sin, you cannot be saved. You must be humble enough. Come to God humbly. And here's something else regarding humility. You might jot this down. Humility is not thinking less of self, but humility is thinking of self less. Can you enjoy the success of other people? Let's say on your job, someone else gets the promotion or a raise. Can you applaud them? Can you congratulate them? Or do you get angry about that? If you see someone in the ministry who is being successful, can you applaud them and say congratulations? Or do you get envious of that? Do you value the opinion of other people? You might be surprised. Someone might know more than you know. (laughs) The Bible says there is safety in a multitude of counselors. Or do you think your opinion is higher than everyone else's and you know more. You see, that is not being humble. And and the Bible says here in lowliness of mind, and then not only are we to apply humility, we should apply honor in our relationships. He says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That word esteem means regard or to honor. That means take the high road. Sometimes you have to let the other person have his way or her way. Let them have the last word in the situation. You don't always have to come out on top. Take the high road and just esteem others better than yourself. Now, we see this played out in Genesis chapter 13 with Abraham and Lot. At this point, uh, Abraham was still Abram, and uh, he and Lot have been blessed so much that there's no more room for them on the land. Now listen to what the Bible says, and this is in Genesis 13, verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, Abram is the uncle, Lot is the nephew. Abram is the older man, Lot is the younger man. Abram is the reason for all the blessings. Lot is riding the coattails of Abram and his blessings. So the Bible says they're, they're both blessed. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife, here's that strife again, between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Abram being the older man here and the one that that was the one who was blessed, he takes the initiative here in addressing this to Lot. And he says, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Thou wilt take, if thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, I'll go to the left. So Abram gives Lot the choice. He says, if you want to go right, I'll go left or vice versa. Now, he was taking the high road. 
He could have said, listen, buddy, I'm the older one here. I'm the one that's called to the promised land. You're going to do what I say. But he doesn't do that. He takes the high road. He shows honor. Lot, on the other hand, does not show honor. What Lot should have done was said, no, Uncle Abram, you're older. You're the reason we are blessed. You decide where you want to go. But he doesn't do that. The Bible says in verse 10, but Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. Bottom line, he saw with his eyes what looked good, the, the, the part of the land that was green and had water. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves the one from the other. So Lot did was not honorable toward Abram, and he went to the place that was well watered and everything. Now, did that turn out good for Lot? No, not at all. Because we find out later, as you read in Genesis, how that he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, that wicked city with homosexuality and pride and all these things taking place. His wife turns into a pillar of salt. He commits incest with his daughters. That's in your Bible. Lot did not turn out good. The situation did not turn out good because he failed to show honor like his uncle Abram did. Many problems in churches and in marriages and in homes and even at workplaces can be prevented when we give honor to the other person. Let me give you the third and final point. Develop a servant's attitude. Verse 4. Paul says here in verse 4, to attend less to self. He says, look not every man on his own things. Again, do you only talk about your opinions, your activities, your children, your vacation? You know, uh, social media has made narcissists out of all of us. You know, we'll, we'll put our uh, vacation pictures and our kids pictures and our house pictures and we'll even put plates of food on there. We're all guilty of it. That's what we do. But I'm afraid it has turned us into a nation of narcissists. Now, if you know the story of narcissists, uh, as a Greek uh, mythological story, narcissist saw himself in a pool of water and he fell in love with his own reflection. And how life turned out for him, he died starving to death and friendless because he could not leave the reflection of himself. You see, someone who is a narcissist will end up all alone because they love themselves so much. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't look on your own things. Now, attend less to self and attend more to others. He continues in verse 4, but every man also on the things of others. Now that word also implies that it's okay to attend to your your stuff. You know, we all have our own work and we're proud of our kids and our family and we like to share those things and our interests. That's okay, but just don't forget others. He says, look, every man also on the things of others. In other words, it's so easy to become so preoccupied with our own interests that we forget other people. Don't forget others. You know, if you talk, have a 20-minute conversation, do you ask, how are you doing? Where have you gone on vacation? How are your kids doing? Or is it all about you whenever you talk with someone and your opinions and your activities? Just remember to think about others and not just yourself. You know, one of the things that has uh, become a part of the American educational system, and uh, sadly it's taught even in, in some churches today, Christian psychology. This psychology movement is me-centered. 
You know, think about yourself. You are special. You are somebody. That's not what the scripture teaches. I'm sorry, but the scripture does not teach this idea of modern day psychology of thinking of self and, and uh, self image and all of that. We have worn that out and we've turned into a generation of selfish narcissistic people, all right? We need to get back to what the Bible says. Don't look so much on your own things, but look on the things of others. Now, let me wrap the message up with a little story, going back to this principle of unity, because after all, these three messages that we've brought recently, United We Stand, deal with unity, unity in our churches, unity in our homes, unity in the workplace, and about being unified. I want to share just a cute little story about unity. There's a story of a tiny pygmy in West Africa, and a man was out on a safari, and he uh, happened to notice of this tiny pygmy standing over a dead rhinoceros, and it was really an odd sight. A rhinoceros is such a big, violent animal, and here's this little pygmy standing over the rhinoceros. Well, the man comes along, and he says to the pygmy, did you kill that rhinoceros? And the pygmy proudly answered, yeah, I sure did. I killed that. And he said, How did a little guy like you kill a huge, violent animal like that rhinoceros? And the pygmy said, well, I did it with my club. And the man said, well, you have to tell me, how big is your club? And the little pygmy said, well, there's about a hundred of us in my club. Now, that's a cute little story, but it illustrates the importance of unity. One tiny little pygmy with a a, a billy club would not have killed a rhinoceros, but you put 99 more with him and they could accomplish a lot. Beloved, we need to be unified. I would encourage you, and I, I told our folks this, and I try to do this myself, and I would encourage you, pray for unity every day. When you have your daily time of prayer, pray for unity in your home, that uh, if you ha- if you have a husband or a wife, that you're unified in your marriage. Pray that your family stays unified as you raise your children. Maybe you have grandchildren, uh, your, your grown children are out of the house. Pray that their families stay unified. Pray for your church. Uh, if you have your own local church you attend, pray for unity in your church. The devil wants to come in and, and disunify local churches and families, and let's not let him do it. But I think we need to pray for it. God, keep us unified. Uh, unity at work. Lord, give us a unity wherever I work so that we can get, get the job accomplished and there's no fighting and feuding and fussing going on. I think that's an important thing to do. God blesses unity. Uh, just as the Godhead, the Trinity is unified, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they demonstrate that for us. We should duplicate this unity in every facet of our life. Well, thank you so much for listening. I remind you again, if you do not have a home church, come out today at 10 o'clock to Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. You'll hear Pastor Kevin Bernard. You'll really enjoy his preaching, and uh, we hope you can come out and be a part of it. If you can't come that early, we invite you out to Waltonville Community Church at 1115. I'll be preaching there, and uh, so we invite you to Waltonville as well. Thank you so much for listening, and for those who are part of our Bible Truth podcast for listening as well. I look forward to being with with you at our next appointed time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer.
You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Thank you for listening.